Hi, Gary Zacharias here again with The Apologist Bookshelf. You know, sometimes I get to do a review of a part of a book by somebody that I've met, and that's really uh, interesting to me. But something I like even better is to do a book review by somebody that I admire and I consider to be a friend. We've met and spent a lot of time together. One of these individuals is Dan Story. I like everything Dan writes. I'm always for clarity. I'm always for good, clear organization. I'm also for uh, challenging information, and Dan can do it all. Very clear writer, very thorough. I enjoy everything that he's got. He's got this book called Should Christians Be Environmentalists? And in a previous podcast, I covered part of his book. I want to look at another section today. It's called Christians Responsible for the Environmental Crisis. This is chapter two from his book. And he starts off by giving some examples of how the environmental movement these days, at least the non-Christian portion of it, points to Christianity and says, there's your problem. That's why we're in the mess we're in as far as uh, environmental concerns go. He, he says that some of them say there's Christian arrogance toward nature and that we, we think we've got our act all together here and that other non-Christian religions actually were more ethical. They, they treated nature better. Now, he's got quotations about that. Here's one of the quotes that just gives you kind of an idea of the antagonism that's out there. This is uh, Donald Worster in A History of Ecology called Nature's Economy. He stated, Christianity has maintained a calculated indifference, if not antagonism, toward nature. The good shepherd, the heroic benefactor of man, has almost never been concerned with leading his flock to a broad reverence for life. Ouch. Okay, so he goes on and on. Here's uh, somebody else. The traditional Christian approach to nature has been a major contributing factor to ecological destruction. Wow. So after that opening, then he develops in the rest of the chapter, really, who is to blame for the environmental crisis? He said, actually, this environmental degradation has occurred way before Europeans arrived into lands of North America and Africa and Asia and the Middle East and Australia. And he goes way back. Um, for example, he talks about primitive hunting and gathering societies. They destroyed vast areas of wilderness with fire. That's how they enlarged their hunting areas. And so he mentions a book by Gene Dorst, D-O-R-S-T. He says, has demonstrated that it's the non-Western, non-Christian, and non-technological people that have a really poor environmental track record. They burned foliage. They overgrazed. They contributed to soil erosion, pollution, exterminated plant, animal species. That went on way before Christianity. And he says, then you had the scientific and industrial revolutions. And they resulted in a lot of technological power that tried to subdue nature and created pollution and degradation that we know today. He says, it's not Christianity. It was unbridled technology in this emerging secular society that brought about a lot of the problems. And so he, I thought that was a really good point that he develops. His next chapter, chapter 3, connects to this. Is are, are non-Christian religions more environmentally responsible than Christianity? Because remember, that's what some of the claim is, that these nature religions out there actually are far more uh, beneficial to the environment than Christianity is. Well... He says uh, non-Christian religions actually failed to restrain environmental degradation. He said they actually have no explicit theological teachings that we should be protecting and caring for nature. 
Okay, so he starts off, he talks about tribal societies. He said, well, we get all of these romanticized Hollywood images of pre-Columbian cultures as if they all sat around, uh, you know, in a harmonious, ecologically sensitive relationship with nature and singing Kumbaya and holding hands. But he said, not really. He said, the so-called ecological Indian is more myth than fact. Native Americans were not innocent of environmental abuse. And he's got a lot of people who he's using for his sources. They used fire to manipulate their environment. Uh, Massive overkilling of animals. They'd often stampede entire bison herds over cliffs. They didn't use every portion of their kill. Says that's alleged, but that's not true. Says sometimes just the best part of the meat was taken and the left was, uh, the rest of it was just left to rot. Then he turns his attention to pre-Christian tribal cultures. And he says the idea that tribal people lived in some idyllic relationship with their surroundings. He said, that's a recent and largely mythological notion. He said, mostly the religion of all these preliterate societies, including Native Americans, is collectively called animism. Okay, animism. So what is animism? It's a belief that all of reality is pervaded or inhabited by spirits or souls, that somehow all of reality is in some sense animate that all living things are endowed with spirits. But he says, you know, it's not the same as the movie Pocahontas. (laughs) He says, these spirits are not necessarily friendly. They're unpredictable. They could be good, but they could be bad. So he says, tribal people regarded nature with awe, true, but reverence and dread, in fact, a lot of dread. Uh, Any apparent concern for nature's welfare coming out of these tribal religions, he says, is a side effect. It's it's not doctrine. They're just trying to appease what they saw as a hostile spiritual world. Then he looks at Eastern religions. How have they done? Well, he said the two most popular ones in the U.S. are Buddhism and Hinduism. And how have they done with the ecology? He says Eastern religions have failed to curb abuse of the environment and exploitation among societies. He gives examples of India and China. They've had devastating environmental degradation. They haven't used pesticides correctly. They've flooded. They've ended up with desertification and deforestation. All sorts of acres of wildlife habitats have been destroyed. He goes on and on. He says any ecology that is showing up in Eastern religions has really not resulted in any serious effort to control uh, damaging the environment or to promote environmental stewardship. And he says Eastern religions subscribe to something called pantheism, that God is pretty much an impersonal substance that incorporates and encompasses everything, all of reality. God is everything, and everything is God. You got pan, all, and theism. So God's everything. Well, this pantheistic God didn't personally create life on earth, so there's no reason for it to have any interest in nature's welfare or the people. Right? Does that make sense? It does to me. Many pantheists believe that if something appears to exist independent of God, it must be an illusion. Well, well, if that's the case, if nature is out there and it's an illusion, why would you bother to care for it? He talks about the Buddhists having their eightfold path. It's a course of self-improvement that eventually the hope is to lead you to nirvana, which is an extinction of your desires. Trouble is, it extinguishes you as well. Um says the ecological attraction of that philosophy is that it's the opposite of consumption, 
right? Uh, the Buddha teaching people don't crave anything. Well, it sounds good, doesn't it? But few people in the West would consistently go along with a philosophy like that since it rejects material possessions. An even stronger ecological dimension common to some of these Eastern religions is something that story calls ahimsa. It's their word for love, nonviolence toward all living things. And that sounds good, right? The desire to harm animals, but it doesn't come from a religious doctrine that's teaching you altruism. It's, it's human-centered. You're doing it. You're not trying to protect the animals. You're trying to do it to maintain good karma, to make things go well for you. Because if you harm other creatures, you could end up with bad karma. He talks about nature religions, something like Wicca and Neo-Druidism and Gaia. And he says that sounds good, right? That you end up with earth worshiping and the entire biosphere being a conscious living entity. But neo-pagan and other of these new spiritual movements really have done little to lessen economic globalization. And so it says, despite it sounding good, it hasn't really changed human behavior as far as reining in the damage to the environment. Uh, story says he, he thinks that not only have neo-pagans and other nature religions failed to stop environmental abuse, but he said they're actually an impediment. They're in the way. Well, how is that? He says other many Christians and other conservatives have come to associate neo-paganism with environmentalism. And so because of that, many shy away from engaging in pro-environmental activities because they're turned off by these other groups. So I thought that was an interesting point. Um, so there, there's the chapter. That's pretty much the chapter about non-Christian religions more environmentally uh, responsible. And his answer is no, if you really look at history. So Dan, again, it has so much to say. And of course, I'm just hitting a few highlights here. But I would suggest if you're interested in ecology, and Christians should be, we were given a command by God to be good stewards. And uh, so he, he makes that an important part of his book. But that's another chapter. Okay, so thanks very much for uh, listening to this, and we'll do another podcast soon.